Good to see everybody today. Good morning. Hey, let's stand for the reading of God's word, and we'll turn to Psalms chapter 96, and we'll read the whole Psalms. Psalms number 96. Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. Great is the Lord. He is most, most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of other nations are mere idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and beauty fill his sanctuary. O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his courts. <coughs> Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Let all the earth tremble before him. Tell all the nations the Lord reigns. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. He will judge all people fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with his truth. Flip over to Matthew chapter 2. Starting with the first verse. And it reads like this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About the time some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child. When you find him, come back and tell me, so that I can go and worship him too. Yeah, right. And this interview, after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. You may be seated. And let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our gathering today as brothers and sisters in Christ to honor your word, to worship you to turn our hearts and affections towards you, to cast out all things that would uh, persuade us 
not to give full allegiance to you as our Lord and as our King today. We want to worship you in the beauty and in the splendor of your holiness. We ask you to speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. The story of uh, the wise men coming is a fantastic story. They came from the east. They came from what was known as Persia. And we know that the Jewish people were exiled, taken out of the land of Israel, and were taken as slaves and servants to the Assyrians and the Persians. And they had to learn their culture. They had to um, just learn everything about them, learn their culture. They took Jewish boys and trained them up in the ways of uh, the Assyrian gods, Persian gods. Daniel was one of them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Persian names of those fellas. My mother used to teach me uh, how to memorize those three. Shake the bed, make the bed, and to bed we go. Okay? <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, Daniel and these dudes, through it all, through their captivity, through their being exiled, through their circumstance and situation of being inundated and, and captive to the ways and the speculations and the arguments and, the, and the, the authority of that culture and that world stayed true to God. We see the effect of these Israelites, these Jews in another land. These dudes came from the east and they were told and convinced about a king that was coming. Let me, let, me, let me break it down for you. Sometimes we think we're exiled. Sometimes we think we're in a wilderness. Sometimes we think our circumstances captivate us and our situations surround us. And where is God? Where is God? Where is God? Well, God is here. Whatever you think your scattering is or whatever you think your exile is, whatever you're going through today, the purpose of it is that God would lead us to the king. Wonderful story. These wise men. Daniel was the chief magi. He raised up in the, in the ranks of uh, the captive nation, became one of the magi. Nobody else could interpret dreams. Daniel was there and interpreted the dreams of the king by the power and the spirit of God, and God raised him up. Another point of interest is, no matter what your circumstance or situation is, God wants to elevate you and lift you up. Amen? Yeah. And he did that because heaven came down and glory filled our soul. There at the cross, my Savior made me whole. Right? We were created to worship, no doubt. And let me tell you something. You were worshiping before you became a Christian, right? You were definitely a worshiper. What were you worshiping? Materialism? Hedonism? All the isms that you can think about, you were worshiping? All the things that you put a, a, a false notion on, that, that, that image or that thing that you thought would, would create something for you of satisfaction and fulfillment, you laid on that thing and you found out that 
No, it's not fulfilling. It's not satisfying, right? We have these false, false images that we raise up in our hearts and minds, these fantasies that we think something's going to turn out for our benefit and our, our joy and our love based on our fantasy of what we need. The Bible says that we are worshipers. We are all wired like Jesus was to worship. Jesus was a worshiper. What is a worshiper? Someone that pours out. Someone that empties himself. Someone that uh, gives everything and all to the thing that is worshipped. We worship a lot of things. Andy bought a new truck. All right? He doesn't do this. But I love seeing guys in these hot rods, man. The wheels are big and huge and, like, cost thousands of dollars, you know? And it's a, it's a beautiful color. Uh, and it's a model that you love. And it's a model that probably I covet. But he has it. And you're sitting there, maybe in a diner or something, and you see a guy pull in, and he gets out of this beautiful car, right? And he's walking away from it. And you say to yourself, he's going to turn and look. He's going to turn and look. He's going to turn and look. And there he goes. Can't walk away from the car without giving that last, yeah, right? As he goes in to the diner, right? See, whatever we, we worship, we gaze upon. And we become. Whatever we gaze upon and worship, we become. That's why the Lord says, I am the only one that is worthy of your praise because I am God. It's simple. And you know what? I am not, and you are not. The Bible says that every time we get a glimpse of heaven in the scriptures, we see the angels and the heavenly hosts worshiping God and praising God. And giving God all the praise and giving God all the glory. When we accepted Christ, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God became a part of our lives. The kingdom of God is within us now. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, the Bible says, now rules and reigns within us. We have a heavenly chorus to sing. And that chorus is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. See, our image of God or our, our thoughts of God will never, ever, ever fully be satisfied and completed for all eternity because he's that big. When I turn and look at a car that I just bought, that car is in decay and that car will rust and that car will turn on me and will not allow me to be satisfied. I have to get a new car. But see, Jesus makes everything brand new. Every day we come to get to know him, and we realize that we don't really know him because there's so much of God to know. Amen? Listen to this. Revelations chapter 5 says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sea and on the sea and all that's 
singing to him who sits on the throne, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever, all because he is worthy of our praise and he's worthy of our adoration. Let's flip over to Colossians chapter 1. In the olden days, you used to hear the ruffling of the pages. Now, not so much. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. I want to read this from the message version because it's pretty cool. Here it is, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. God rescued us from dead-end alleys and dark dungeons. He set up in the kingdom of the Son he loved so much. The Son who got us out of the pit we were in, got rid of the sins we were doomed to keep repeating. We look at this Son and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this Son and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything God started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes it, holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everyone else and everything. So spacious is he, so roomy that everything God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. You yourselves are a case study of what he does. At one time, all had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you got. But now by giving himself completely at the cross, Actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together, whole and holy in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in that bond of trust, constantly tuned into the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other message, just this one. Every creature under heaven gets this message, the same message. I, Paul, am a messenger of this message. And the message is, is that Christ fills everything in every way, and he is our all in all. See, we were created to worship. We were created to pour out. We were created to say to something, you are significant, and you are worthy to me. You bring me great value. But that conversation was supposed to be to God. And when sin entered the world, we looked to everything to bring us significance and to give us value so that we can give our lives over that's worthy, right? How many times did you get into a relationship and you thought this is the one? This is the one. We'll meet all my expectations. We'll meet all my fulfillment. This person will be my all in all and I will have love and flowers and cherries forever and ever and ever. We worship our relationships. 
We worship our children. We worship our things. We worship our ministries and our work for Christ. And God is saying to us, worship me. How do we worship God? The essence of worship is our heart, right? The essence of worship is our heart. Where is your heart? The Bible says where your heart is, there will your treasure be. What is the most thing that you invest in? What's the greatest thing that you love? What's the greatest thing that you adore? What's the greatest thing you, you turn to and you gaze upon to meet the, the, the unfulfillment and dissatisfaction of your life, that hole in your heart? We do it all the time with relationships, with things, with people, with a job. We think something's going to come in our life that will finally give us this happiness that we want, that we need, and there'll be joy in our heart and in our life. And we find out very, very quickly that that thing we, we put on a pedestal to worship turns on us. And it degrades us. Romans chapter 1 says, we've exchanged the glory of God for things that were created idols that we've created in our own hearts and in our own minds that lead our heart away from God. This is not the time to have your heart led away from God, is it, right? Amen. Amen. God is worthy of all of our praise. Worship helps us fulfill our destiny and our purpose. We are worshipers. We're created in the image of God. Our lives are to be poured out and given over. Our lives are to be filled with this river of living water that flows out of us. But you know what sin does? It stops up. It dams up the flow in our hearts and in our lives. You know why? Because we ventured out in, in self, looking to things that would satisfy. They've turned on us and they've hurt us. And now we don't want to be vulnerable anymore. And we stop up our heart from loving. Jesus was the greatest lover this world has ever seen. Amen? Amen. When you think about his, uh, the context of his ministry, misunderstood, misrepresented, mischaracterized. Nobody understood what he was talking about, even his disciples, until he died. Imagine the, the life that he lived, always loving and always giving portion of scripture that I love is that he heard John the Baptist was beheaded. He was just at Nazareth where he could perform no miracles because of lack of faith. They were saying, this is Jesus? He grew up down the street. Who does he think he is, right? And he was like, man, I'm empty. I got to go worship my father. I got to be in contact with my father. I got to keep pouring out so I need more of the spirit of God within me. So he goes up to a mountain to pray always going to be with his father, always time away so that he could be filled to minister to brokenness and minister to the lost. The Bible says that as he's on, a, on this mountain praying, wanting to be alone. Now, have you ever wanted to be alone and someone comes and, bu and bumps into your bubble, your space bubble, right? And you're just like, get away from me, right? <laughs> Get out of here. Jesus allowed people to invade him. 
because you always had enough love to encapture them and to hold on to them. The Bible says that the, the multitude saw Jesus. Can you picture? Hundreds of people. There he is, running up to him. And Jesus, lifting his eyes. Bible says, seeing the multitude, he had compassion on them. Us? We would be like, right? Get away! See, see the picture here. Jesus was a lover. Jesus was a giver. Jesus made himself vulnerable, and he wants to do it in your heart and in your life today. That's what worship is all about. If you want to worship God, if you want to love, you've got to be vulnerable, and you've got to put aside the idols in your heart, the false fantasies that we look to, the images that we create in our hearts and in our minds, the things that we turn to, the gaze upon, to say, that will satisfy me. No, it won't. No, it won't. You were, like I said before, you were wired to say these words. You are worthy to me. You matter to me. You are of ultimate significance to me. You and I will determine with our lives how we spend and invest our time, our resources, and our attention. Bob Dylan put it this way. You may serve the devil or you may serve the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. Amen? Who you serve is who you worship. You may worship the God of creation and the Redeemer of all humanity. You may worship material possessions. You may worship security. You may worship stability. You may worship your family. Or you may worship something else. But you're going to worship something because that's who you are. And the question is, what are you worshiping today? What are you gazing upon in which you want to find your satisfaction and your fulfillment? The Lord says, worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Gaze upon him. Gaze upon him. We were created for worship rather than drudging through this life. Amen? Our lives were given to fulfill a destiny, and that is to worship him, become like him, when we abandon our destiny and instantly our lives become about something that is so powerful and impactful that God actually has invaded our lives and He lives within us and He wants to tell a lost and broken world about the glory of God, about the wonder of God, about the holiness of God, and He's going to use you. Isn't that something? And He's going to use me. And this is the, the joy of worship. When we worship something, we become just like it. The poet Ralph Emerson Waldo says this, The gods we worship write their names on our faces. Be sure of that. And a man will worship something? Have no doubt about that either. He may think that his tribute is paid in the secret dark recesses of his heart, but it will come out. That which dominates will determine his life and his character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship, for we all are worshiping what we are becoming. We all are worshiping what we are becoming. Isn't that amazing? We are worshiping an image of what we think we need, what we think we want, 
what we think will satisfy and fulfill. Our hearts are too deceptive and filled with deceit to understand all that. The Bible says the heart is, a, is deceitful and wicked. Who could know it? Right? Who could know it? The great thing about Jesus Christ is, as we accept him is he loves to do heart transplants. Right? He loves to do heart transplants. Now, we go to the doctor. We get checked up with our heart, right? My, as I get older, my blood pressure is increasingly getting a little bit higher as I do less activity and things of that nature. But we go to the doctor to get checked out. Here, when we come in on a Sunday morning, we should examine our heart and see where it is when it comes to our worship before God. Amen? Is there something that we're gazing upon that we, we feel that we, we need to gaze upon to satisfy our heart, to satisfy the longing of our heart? We were made in the image of God to focus on God. And this is how we do it. We celebrate who he is. We celebrate his character. We celebrate his nature. When we're singing praises to God, our hearts and our minds are focused on who God is, and he begins to change us, and he begins to transform us. Amen? Here's a thought. There's a war over your worship. Jesus went into the garden for 40 days and 40 nights, tested by Satan. And one of the tests and one of the temptations was, again, the de devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, and then he said, all this I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. And the same test is given to us. Because Satan will give you what you want. And your flesh will seek out and get what you want. Amen? Jesus himself passed this test. Two things we learned from this passage. First, Satan has dominion over the power of the earth. He's called the prince of the power of the air. There is a kingdom that is against us. There's a kingdom at work that you cannot see against your soul, your mind, your will, and emotions, and it's battling for your worship. Satan doesn't want worshipers. He wants to hurt the heart of God. He doesn't want you to worship him. He just wants to sway your allegiance a little bit. Turn your eyes off of Jesus just a little bit so that you won't conform to the image of Christ because he knows when we utter the name of Jesus and we're, we're gazing upon Jesus, he flees like a little girly girl because he knows the power of God. Amen? When Jesus showed up with demons, they trembled. When Jesus showed up with sickness, it was healed. When Jesus showed up with souls that were diseased because of abuse and harm and wrong decisions, their heart was made clean and pure and whole. When we utter the name of Jesus, his kingdom comes down upon us and we rule and reign with Christ. Amen? When you utter the name of Jesus, you begin to gaze upon him you realize that the things of this world become so dim in light of who he is and his beauty. What happens is, 
We're able like a running back to give tacklers a forearm. Don't you love when a running back runs through the middle and there's a little safety coming up, going for the tackle, and the runner puts his head right on his helmet and goes, yeah, whoosh, pushes him down. I don't care. <laughs> pushes him down. Isn't that awesome? And this is, what, this is what the Lord desires for us. Satan wants you to turn your eyes from him and worship other things so that you don't worship God. He, his work is to come to steal, kill, and destroy, and he does it by getting your heart on fantasies and ideas where your satisfaction and fulfillment will come, not based on God and God himself. It's that simple, friends. It's a hard message to grasp. A very, very hard message to grasp. But it's so true. Second, if there's a spiritual battle over Jesus' worship, you better realize there's one over you. Every word and every action, every decision is a choice to worship God or someone or something else. Where does your heart turn today? Satan says to God, he will curse you to your face if everything wasn't so great. That's what Satan said to God about Job. The moment things start to go bad, he'll turn his back on you. God says, oh no, he loves me. And I'm going to prove it. So you might be here today with things stripped from you, things taken from you, hurtful situations, longings of your heart broken from and taken away, right? And God is saying, no, 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 no. He's, he's going to worship me. He's going to serve me. God told Job, you can do anything to Job you want, but you cannot kill him. Now you can wrestle with that theologically and say, I can't believe God did that, but he did. One thing we know is that God's glory was on the line and there was a war going on over Job's worship and he didn't know it. See, here's the thing. There's a war going on for the glory of God and his kingdom to be ruled, to rule and to reign in our culture and in our world. There's a war going on. Amen? What was Job's answer? He had a lovely wife, didn't he? Very encouraging. He said, she said to him, curse God and die. Job said this, though he slay me, say it with me, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the flames. They said, you know what? Our God can deliver us. Still, if he doesn't, we're going to worship him and we're going to trust him. 
See, God wants to establish in our heart, guys, that no matter what comes our way, we have an understanding about the glory of God. Everything that's brought into your life, He desires glory. He desires praise. He desires that you live your life in honor to Him, no matter what the cost. So make decisions now based on the Word of God, based on the Spirit of God, and based on your heart and its affections towards God today. We need a church, we need a body, we need a family that gathers together and says, come hell or high water, we will worship God. We will gaze on the beauty of God, worship Him in the splendor of holiness, live in our lives totally sold out to be poured out for the glory and honor and praise of Jesus Christ. And you know what? It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. Nobody builds a house until they understand what the cost is going to be. And if you want to live a Christian life in this culture and in the days to come, you have to count the cost and pay the price to determine that you will worship him and him alone. Polycarp was 86 years old. They couldn't give him a break, man, you know? They wanted him to say, Lord Caesar. Lord Caesar. And he said, I'm 86 years old. I've lived my life. Christ has not let me down. I will not blaspheme my Lord and my Savior. So he was burned at the stake. But the fires didn't reach him to kill him, just to burn him. So they had to stab him with a, with a sword. 86 years old, Polycarp. Another dude went to, the, went to the fires of martyrdom saying this. With the words of my mouth, the words that I have spoken about Christ and his lordship over my life, I will now seal with my blood. Yeah. Love stories like that. Oh, you think you're going to make me? Yeah, no. Okay? I'm going to serve Jesus. Right? <laughs> Satan's impact on our lives is what we give him. And the only thing that he uses against us is deceit. A false narrative and a false truth that we believe. And when we believe that, we usher his presence into our hearts and into our lives. So we're asking you today, follow Jesus Christ with everything that you are and everything that you have. Make sure your heart is following hard after God today. Guard your worship. Worship is a fuel for our soul, isn't it? When we're in the presence of the Lord, like this morning, how does your heart feel? How does your mind feel when you're in the presence of the Lord? Everything's fine, isn't it true? Everything's good. Everything's okay. Everything's fine. It's not. But when we're in the presence of the Lord, it is. And his desire for us today as a church and individuals is that we pray without ceasing. We constantly abide in the presence of God by focusing our heart
towards his gaze, towards him. And anything that comes in between our soul and the Savior, we immediately eradicate, kill, and destroy. <laughs> Amen? So how about that forgiveness? How about that person that God is calling you to forgive and to love? Do it with his love and his passion. Worship brings a new perspective, guys. We see things differently. We move from our circumstances and our situations being the big screen to realizing that the big screen is the, the big God that we serve. Amen? It brings a new perspective. Secondly, it increases our desire to obey God. The more we worship God, the better we get to know Him. The more we know Him, the deeper our relationship becomes and the greater we want to be like Him and we want to please Him. Third, it helps us to see God's sovereignty, to see that God is in control. There are times in our life when we feel everything is spinning out of control, but we have to believe that God is in control and that all things work together for good to those that love God and call according to His purpose. What's His purpose for you today? Be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ so that you can pour your life out like you've never, never poured out before for the glory of God. We worship God, it gives us power. The power of the Holy Spirit rules and reigns in our heart. Power to overcome sin. Power to live a godly life. Power to even worship God. Power to turn from those things that we gaze upon and worship, worship God. And it creates a greater hunger for us. Isn't that awesome? The Bible says, be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with relationships. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with materialism. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't be all drunk about who you are and your self-centeredness and self selfishness. Be, be filled with the Spirit. In that, it says, keep on being filled in the Spirit. Be filled in the Spirit. And the thing about being filled in the Spirit is that the more we're filled, the more hungry we are. Isn't it true? When you're away from God, when you're not in His Word, when your eyes are on the circumstances, you don't hunger after God, do you? That's why He keeps saying to us, keep on, keeping on being filled with the Spirit of God on a daily basis and allow the life of God to be thrust into your heart and into your life. Jesus came as a little baby. But let's get our eyes off of the little baby. Because little babies, they'll kill you. <laughs> you just go up to... Look at that little scarlet. All the little babies, right? All of a sudden, you, you take on a new persona. Oh, you little baby. Goo, goo, ga, 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 you know. They kill you. What happens is we get comfortable with the, with the story of our Savior's infancy. And we forget the fact that he is the Lion of Judah. The Lamb that was slain, but the Lion of Judah. And he's coming with wrath and anger. He's angry. 
about sin. He's angry about brokenness. But his unconditional love is here for us. The Bible says the wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. Whatever we do as a church, let's always be truthful with ourselves. Where our heart is, where our focus is, where our gaze is. That little baby became a rebel. He, that little baby, came into the world of the Roman Empire, which was involved in looking at Caesar as Lord, Curios, Lord, which from the Old Testament is Jehovah. And that's why Polycarp died in A.D. 160. He was the bishop of Smyrna. And the Roman government said, you need to give your allegiance to Lord Caesar. Polycarp said, not a chance. Right? There are things that want to take over the lordship of our heart as Christians. The only thing that we heed to today is the lordship of Jesus Christ. And when we bow to his lordship as him as master, we say yes to where he's going to take us. We say yes to what happens in our hearts and in our lives. We say yes, I'm going to live my life for the glory of God no matter what happens because I want the flow of the, of the power and the love of God to come out of my heart and life. You know why? Because this is what we were created for. Amen? Now, Andy leased a new truck. Can you imagine if he kept it in the driveway and just lived in it like a hobo? Okay. Anybody need a place to stay? We got Andy's truck. All right. He's got to get in that thing and drive it, man. He's going to take me for a ride today, and he's going to let me drive that thing. Yes. Listen, guys, the Spirit of God wants to get in us, and He wants to drive us. Do you understand? He wants to drive us supremely to the cross of Christ, to gaze upon Him, worship Him in the beauty of holiness and splendor. As we bow our knee and give Him praise and give Him honor. Matthew and Luke talk about the Christmas story. Matthew is the only uh, Christmas text that has the word worship. That word worship is prokinous, which means to lean forward and to kiss. Isn't that awesome? The early church took that as being that they were the bride of Christ and that they would always have some kissing ground, kissing room in their heart where they can bow and they can kiss their Savior. We look around the world and we see the same thing, the same idea where people bow down and they, they bow prostrate to, to their false god and they kiss the ground. Jesus wants to have ground in our hearts where we can come together, just you and him. It's going to sound weird but kiss. Isn't it nice when someone comes up to you, kisses you on the cheek, gives you a hug? That's what Christ desires for us. 
Because as Daryl and I was, was talking this morning, our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Feel his embrace today. Feel his embrace today that he loves you. He wants to pour out of your life. But you've got to get rid of the gods. You've got to get rid of the things that are blocking you from being vulnerable to the glory and the presence of God being poured out in your life. Are you willing? Are you willing? Are you willing to worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness? We don't know where he's going to take us. We don't know what's going to happen. But our quest is that we will live our lives for the glory of God. Are you in? I'm in. I need you. We need each other, amen? amen? To make this quest to the cross of Christ so the power of God can be in our hearts and in our lives. He wants to do a great and mighty work in our lives, in this community, and with friends that we make and build relationships with for the glory of God. Amen? For the glory of God. Say that, ready? For the glory of God. Bob Miller will live his life for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Dan Cudmore will live his life for the glory of God. Amen. Jennifer Sully will live her life for the glory of God. Dawn Latona will live her life for the glory of God. You know why? Because we want to. That's why. Because we love him. Amen? Amen. We are going to take communion. I want the communion people to come up, prepare your hearts. Now today as we take communion, it's a time of examination, people. You've walked into the great physician's office and he wants to do a work on your heart today. As we ponder the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, Realize that he died for you so that you could be free and that you could be whole and that you can live for the glory of God.